Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking the latest Xbox news for the week of November 7th, 2019, including the Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts team has a new IP in the works, an update on Xbox All Access has provided more details about financing and console upgrading, Diablo 4 and Overwatch 2 have been announced, and more. Special shout out to our Amish friends over in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, as Xbox On has recently been deemed the number one Xbox podcast among the Amish community. So big thank you to all you folks who listen every week. I greatly appreciate your support and just know that you have the support of of me and my show. Before we start the news this week, I want to continue with what we did last week, which is moving the what I've been playing up to the front of the show, especially because we're in the thick of the fall season with all the big game releases. So there's a lot to talk about and a lot to go in depth with. So I think that's kind of the most interesting aspect of gaming anyway, right, is the game. So let's talk about what's happening right now in the world of Xbox gaming. All right, so definitely played some more Call of Duty uh, Modern Warfare this past week. I finished the campaign, which I can now attest to is is a solid campaign through and through start to finish. My only gripe with it really is that some of the, I really appreciate how the, the pacing is so like now you're here, now you're there, not so much loading, a lot of cinematics, a lot of dialogue, a lot of exposition. So it's like, there's just always stuff happening. It's always something in your face, very like action movie oriented as Call of Duty should be. So I greatly appreciate that. But sometimes I will say it gets in its own way a little bit to where like you kind of lose the plot a little bit. It just seems somewhat convoluted because just stuff's happening so fast and it's like, wait, I'm a little confused as to exactly who this character is and what role they play in the story. But overall, I will say the story is definitely one of the best Call of Duty uh, stories in a very long time. I would say it's top top three or five Call of Duty campaigns for me in general, um, which is, I think, saying a lot, especially when your game has like 20 entries. Aside from that, the you know, the characters are super likable. It definitely ends in one of those cliffhanger in a set you up for a sequel kind of way. So without a doubt, the next Infinity Ward game is going to be called Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 because that's absolutely what they're setting up for, which is exciting because I really like how they've reinvented characters like Price and and how they've in- introduced these new characters. And I'm excited to kind of get to do more of whatever the hell their story is. So it's a fantastic Call of Duty campaign. If you're one of those people that only plays Call of Duty for the campaign, like I have been in recent years, um, then this is definitely one worth picking up. And then as far as multiplayer goes, I, I did do a little more of that. I think my opinion has kind of decreased. Like the the amount I, I like the multiplayer in this game has has decline since I last podcasted. The multiplayer is a little bit frustrating for me because it looks beautiful. I like the aesthetic of the maps. I love the weapons. I love the the feel of the combat. Like I said, I love that cover-based snap shooting you can do when you mount your gun and everything. But this game has some serious issues with just like spawn killing and sniping and just all this shit where it makes the game almost unplayable sometimes for players like myself who don't play Call of Duty competitively, who just kind of casually drop in, drop out of the multiplayer from time to time. So it's it's definitely been hindering my fun experience with the game, especially when I just want to play some like stupid quick mode like 
fucking team deathmatch or something. It would be nice if they could fix some of these spawn killing issues, maybe make future maps a little less sniper heavy. Uh, it's as it seems like the roster as it stands right now is just like very sniper friendly. Um, there's this weird shotgun that's like people have been complaining about that's just kind of OP and people are using it like crazy because it has like a crazy range and it's a one hit kill, of course. So it'd be nice if they fix that as well. It just, I mean, most of these things I do expect to be addressed with time, so I'm not too worried about it, but I've definitely slowed down on playing the multiplayer since last week because, well, one, there's some other games I want to get to and that's, I never stayed on one game for too long for that reason. And two, it's just, it has a lot of little kinks to work out and but I will say, aside from just standard multiplayer, that that uh, what is it called? Gun gunfight mode or whatever, the two v two mode. That mode is so incredibly awesome. That is by far the most innovative and fun like new thing a Call of Duty's added since maybe like Nazi zombies. Like it's that good to me. Uh, I mean, I'm, I don't really give a shit about like a battle royale mode in a Call of Duty. I don't really give a shit about like whatever kind of stuff they've been doing in recent years that I haven't been aware of. But like this mode in particular is just very cool. It's really nice. It's it's easy to get just one friend to play with you so you don't have that commitment of like i need a whole team to really enjoy this game and then the 2v2 like kind of battle scenario makes things like very intense and the randomized weapon like layout throughout the map just makes everything very kind of fair and even so you don't have to worry about like is this guy more skilled because he can always choose the gun he's mastered and things like that so it's really awesome mode i definitely recommend like playing a ton of that if you finish campaign you want to get a little more you know play time and value out of your purchase with the game but multiplayer not really doing it for you and spec ops is just not kind of your thing because it's I don't know. I haven't really gotten into Spec Ops too much, but I hear it's not that great. Uh, but that's kind of where I'm at with Call of Duty. Fantastic campaign. Multiplayer is like really has a lot of potential, but needs some work. But that that gunfight mode or whatever the two v two mode is is quite excellent. So I'll, I'll continue to play a little bit of that. That'll keep me going with Call of Duty. On the other side, I've been playing uh, Outer Worlds a little more, kind of chipping away at that. I've slowed down a little bit. I think I'm only, I'm only really like like nine or ten hours into the game to be honest. I'm mostly focused on the main quest line, but I've kind of shifted my focus to like being a balanced character who does like a little bit of persuading a little bit of a little bit of combat um, a little bit of this a little bit of that kind of thing i'm just really trying to play the game as much as possible in like a talk your way out of everything kind of way because i think that's the most interesting aspect of this game is that you really can avoid combat for the most part entirely <laughs> which is just so cool so i've every every time i get a skill point i just throw everything into lying and persuasion so that anytime i i interact with someone i can just be like they can be like you're not supposed to be here and then that would traditionally turn into you know a combat scenario but instead i'm just like i just say something absurd and heinous and they buy into it and then whoop you're in the door and it's just it's really cool not because like it avoids the gameplay mechanics of the game but because it kind of is a gameplay mechanic right to not to not have to be like oh man now i I got to fight another room of enemies and now you can be like wow that's so cool that you know i was able to kind of divert an entire situation just by being witty and getting my way out of something through words which i think is really awesome and that makes the writing of the game that that's something that's a way to play the game to really make the writing stand out because it's so interesting to see how the writers work their way out of certain scenarios in the narrative by just avoiding you know the traditional gameplay mechanic of combat aside from that i mean you can't avoid combat altogether because when you're in some of the more open regions they're just like creatures roaming the open environments and you just have to fight from time to time i guess one reason why i'm also trying to avoid the combat aside from just wanting to play this game a little differently than most every other game that's just about fighting is that the combat the more i play it the more i'm just like this combat is good it's solid it's better than fallout combat 
but it's still kind of like Fallout Combat in the sense that it's like it's not that great. It doesn't feel like playing like Wolfenstein, The New Order, or like Doom or Halo or something where it's like the combat just like the gunplay just feels really good. It's kind of rough FPS combat to the point where like I mostly rely on just melee weapons. And I will say that's a huge plus for this game because normally these types of games don't deal too much with melee weapons. I mean, unless like, of course, you're talking about Elder Scrolls. So it's just nice to kind of have combat weapons as a fallback if the guns don't feel quite that right. Although the guns should feel better. I mean, if, if the game has first person shooting, it should feel good. And like I said, it, it does feel good. It just doesn't feel great. So I'd rather, you know, kind of rely on it as like a alternative to my kind of weaseling my way out of conversation out of conflict with my words and by using melee weapons predominantly when I have to use combat. Uh, otherwise, the game is pretty good. I, again, just the characters are super interesting. The, the dialogue is super interesting. I will say the overall narrative, the main plot of the game to me is just kind of like, meh, I feel like I've seen this a million times. It's not that interesting, but it's worth it just because, you know, one of those things where it's like the journey, not the destination. So I'm not so much interested in like, how's the game going to end? But I am enjoying the moment to moment, just like banter between characters. It's very enjoyable. So definitely I'm, I'm planning on finishing that up, but I might just kind of slowly methodically get there over the course of the next few weeks. But yeah, Outer Worlds, still a fantastic game. It's on Game Pass. Why the hell would you not be playing this game? You absolutely owe it to yourself to at least check it out, even if you end up not sticking through with it. The last game was actually I played After Party. It's that newly released game uh, from the guys that made Oxenfree. That game came out earlier last week. Um, I sat down on Halloween night. You know, I was looking for like something kind of in the spirit of the holiday to do. So I, was, I, I had the whole day off. I was like, you know, what? I'm going to play this entire game. I know it can't be longer than a few hours. So I'm just going to sit down and get some pizza and some candy and some Mountain Dew and just fucking power through an entire spooky game. Not really spooky game, but you know, it's, it's about you play in hell. It's about out drinking Satan. It's very like in that kind of vein, festive. I mean, it's no coincidence they tried to launch it around Halloween. So yeah, I, I played After Party, and I gotta say, first off, I, I tried Oxenfree uh, about a year ago. I only got maybe 45 minutes, an hour into it, and decided, like, for whatever reason, I just wasn't feeling it. Maybe I'll go back now and play it, because I really enjoyed After Party, but I just something about Oxenfree didn't click with me, but I don't understand why, because that game it's just like screams a Jesse game. So for some reason it just didn't happen for me. And so I was a little hesitant going into after party, but like I just said, after party was really good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I'm not going to say it's amazing, but it's, it's a really fun game. Essentially the premise is you're these two, like just about to be college graduates and you're at this, this like graduating party and you're kind of, you're both kind of social outcasts, but you've always had each other. You're kind of like childhood best friends. And then like you find out that you're actually not at this party. In fact, you just died. The game doesn't really ever tell you why you died or how you died. I don't know if there's a way to figure that out, but I never figured that out through my playthrough. And so you both go to hell, essentially. And so you find out there's this loophole where you can go back to go back to Earth. You can get your life back, but you got to out drink the devil. And like <laughs> and Satan's like this crazy party hard alcoholic. And like so you got to go through like this whole quest line of meeting all these people, doing all these tasks and going all these places. And it's just really funny. Again, it's you know, it's one of those like narrative driven, like kind of modern day equivalent of like a point and click adventure game. Or like I guess now they call them like walking simulators, like you're kind of gone home or virginia or what became of edith, edith finch those kinds of games but it's like a 2.5d perspective and the game's just you know constant dialogue that's the charm of it is that you're just constantly invested in the the narrative and it's it's just really fun that every 
the characters are really fun. The, the writing's really funny. Um, and the best part is just kind of the charm of like, I love fun ideas. I love when a game or a movie takes a really fun concept and just plays with it a million ways rather than, you know, focusing on fleshing out a bunch a variety of ideas. And in this game, you know, it's, it's the alcohol, it's the party concept. It's about, you know, what if hell was just like one big kind of frat party, so to speak. And so like, it's fun going to these bars and like every bar has a different cocktail menu and just kind of seeing the ingredients list. There's one where it's like, it's like this blue cocktail with an eyeball and like the the description's like it's acid you're literally just drinking acid (laughs) and it's just it's just really like wacky and funny stuff like that so definitely enjoy that game a lot i played it through the end again i highly recommend it it came out into game pass so you owe it to yourself again if you're if you're looking for something new to play it's something worth checking out i think i beat the game in like four and a half hours it's not not very long there's nothing about it where you're getting like stuck it's not like too puzzly at, at all it's pretty linear there's no kind of combat or anything it's just if you want to sit down and maybe play something that's kind of a palate cleanser from your your call of duty or your outer world is more like big games or action games or you know combat focused games this is a really nice game to kind of you know take a break from that sort of thing from overall highly highly recommend it super funny super interesting unique um and just overall a pretty good time so yeah that's what i've been playing this past week and then other than that i mean on nintendo switch i've been playing mario and sonic at the olympic games tokyo 2020 but i don't think that first of all that's a switch game it's not relevant to this podcast and two i don't think anyone in the entire fucking universe other than like maybe a couple seven-year-olds and i don't think anyone cares about this game really so i won't go into that but just know you can't judge me because this game's fucking awesome and if you don't like it you're fucking nerdy because you're probably playing league of legends or some other stupid bullshit so screw you Unfortunately, this week is a pretty slow news week. You know, with all the big games kind of coming out and everything, there's not much going on in the way in the in the way of news. So much as you know, just go out and play some fucking video games. That's what that's what we're here for. But we'll go through nonetheless. There are a couple notable stories, so we'll get through the news a little quicker than usual this week. But some some interesting stories that you might you might be excited to to learn about. Our first one is that the team at Square Enix behind games like Kingdom Hearts 3 and the upcoming Final Fantasy VII Remake are currently developing a brand new action IP. The first development division at Square Enix made this announcement via a recruitment post on the Square Enix blog. The unannounced project is being described as, quote, next generation action game experience that takes a step forward from existing action games framework, end quote, whatever that means. The game, uh, this is translated from Japanese, that's why it sounds a little wonky. The game is simultaneously being worked on in and outside Japan, meaning that potentially the aid of Western developers are collaborating on this project. While no specific consoles are mentioned in the above quote, and literally no hints are dropped seeing it as all consoles are high definition these days, it is safe to assume that this project will be for next generation hardware, seeing as the studio has a track record for taking an ungodly amount of development time to make a masterful game like Kingdom Hearts 3, a game where Woody from Toy Story talks about some black-robed Naruto fuck as being a heartless and lacking the full understanding of the true power of friendship. One thing is for certain, though, this game will be very weird, very Japanese, and will sell millions of units to kids with social disorders and poor personal hygiene. So this is actually really notable because Square Enix, especially if you're talking about their, you know, they, they're in their dev team, they kind of operate like Nintendo, where it's like, you know, a Mario game comes out of Splatoon 
Splatoon game comes out, the Zelda game comes out, and they say, you know, who's the developer of this game? They just say Nintendo. Well, obviously, there are certain teams within Nintendo making certain games, and they have kind of, like, internal names for them that aren't really relevant to the public. So, you know, like, at Square Enix, you know, they this the division that makes, you know, their biggest games, like their Final Fantasies, their Kingdom Hearts, that I guess they refer to them as the first development division. They have multiple divisions. This is the first of them, I guess. But essentially, this is this is big news for Square Enix because while they do put out a variety of games, this development team, their their tentpole development team, doesn't put out a lot in terms of well, actually, they don't put a lot out. Just period. They don't put a lot of diversity of types of games out. It's pretty much just all Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts. And then alternative to that, they don't put out a lot of games just period because they take their sweet ass time making games that really don't end up being ambitious enough to justify their 10 to 15 year development periods. But whatever, you fucking nerds love these stupid Final Fantasy games anyway. So this is actually really exciting because I think fresh kind of IP from this from this team is something that will no doubt, uh, you know, stir a lot of conversation and a lot of excitement within the community as these guys have a massive track record of just being one of the most influential uh, development studios in gaming history. I mean, Final Fantasy is such an important game to the history of gaming to the RPG genre. Kingdom Hearts, despite being like the biggest joke of a franchise of all time, is so incredibly popular to people that have snotty noses and greasy faces. But, you know, nonetheless, I'm excited to personally see what they're coming up with because I can't imagine they're going to make another action RPG kind of game where in the vein of a Final Fantasy or Kingdom Hearts. So I would be really interested to see just what they're working on. It would be like, how crazy would it be to see these guys make, I don't know, what's something Japanese developers make these days other than like action RPGs? I don't know. I guess I'd, I don't know what they could possibly make because it seems like the only two types of games that come out of Japan are action RPGs and mobile games. So who, who fucking knows? But it would be really exciting just to see what they're working on and to see maybe like just anything different, like a different kind of setting. It would be, I can't even begin to like fathom what kind of thing they'd be working on. But here's hoping that it's something completely different from the RPG genre, just so we can see these these developers use their skills and in, in a different genre and in a different kind of concept. I mean, obviously Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy are in a lot of ways very distinct from one another, but in a lot of ways they're also pretty similar. There's not only the actual crossover of like certain types of characters and things from the two franchises, but there's also just the fact that I think a lot of what Kingdom Hearts was has worn off on Final Fantasy because Final Fantasy isn't as open as it used to be. It's not as... It's not turn-based like it used to be. It's just borrowed a lot of what Kingdom Hearts did, and I think vice versa. I think Kingdom Hearts 3 probably has a lot of like Final Fantasy 13 and 15 DNA in it. So it would just be really interesting to see these guys maybe try to shy away from making the same type of game or maybe not maybe they'll make a maybe they'll make an rpg that isn't so fucking stupid about like a bunch of swooshy air teenage boys driving around in a car about a bunch of anime kids hanging out with winnie the pooh and going on adventures together to stop the the order of black robed men who want to steal all the hearts and trap them into swords that look like keys and i can't fucking believe anyone plays these games um, but anyway, they're working on a new game. We'll probably find out about that in 12 to 25 years, and then it'll come out an additional 50 years after that, and it will sell a billion copies, like I said before, because that's how Square Enix operates. All right, our next story, before I fucking have an aneurysm, a quick update on last week's news story about Xbox All Access. Many have been wondering about the finance rates for the subscription, kind of how that works in terms of how much you'll be paying 
aside from just the monthly rate and things like that. So to clarify, those that apply with a great credit score can receive financing with as little as 0% APR, meaning that you can get an Xbox One S or X with two years of Game Pass Ultimate and end up saving a couple hundred bucks by the end of those two years of financing. Of course, APR rates vary wildly from person to person, depending on your credit score. But assuming you have even like a remotely fair credit rate, financing an Xbox through Xbox All Access is still a great proposition uh, and will save you money in the long run. So basically, as long as you get like APR under like 12 to 15%, you're going to be saving a bunch of money regardless because when you really add up the cost of the cost of that console plus that subscription service for Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, it still saves you a couple hundred bucks by the end of those two years. So there's really, it's really hard to spin this in a, in a way where like this just isn't a great value unless you're in a position where you can't afford the monthly payments. Of course, you shouldn't, some people view things like this as a little predatory, especially for the young adults it definitely appeals to those who don't you know have 400 bucks to just shell out all up front but rather can kind of do the bite-sized month-by-month payment but nonetheless i think regardless of how you try to spin this i can't see a way in which this isn't just a great value and xbox has even started referring to it as the greatest deal in gaming which i i buy into that pr i buy into that marketing it's it just is and this is in, in a way i think this is microsoft's way of just saying we'll eat some crap we'll like take a loss on the subscription and on this console to embed you. And, you know, it's like a last-ditch effort. It's like anything to get you into the Xbox ecosystem before we switch over to Scarlet, even if it means giving you a Scarlet at a discounted rate through the subscription service, giving you an Xbox One X at a discounted rate through the service, we'll do it. We just want you embedded in our platform before you are met with the opportunity to either buy a PlayStation 5 or Project Scarlet. So it's it's just smart all around on Xbox. Microsoft is a company that can afford to do something like this. And it's, I mean, this is, this is how you get shit done. This is how you build your audience. And to anyone who's looking to get a Project Scarlet or an Xbox One X or anything and just looking for a more affordable option, this is about as good as it gets. So definitely a great deal still. But to clarify um, further upon the whole upgrade from an Xbox One to a Project Scarlet through this financing, I want a little more like detail on that. It's basically, it says in order to do this, you, you have to sign up for all access before the end of this year. So December 31st, 2019, you got to sign up for all access by then. Then you had to finance your console for a minimum of 12 months before being eligible for an upgrade. So let's say you start financing now, you have to pay until next November to be eligible to upgrade to a Scarlet. And I will assume, I assume Scarlet's going to launch in October or November, probably November next year. So about, a, you know, you get around the launch time. And then in addition to that, for those with either an Xbox One S or an all digital edition, you need to finance the console for 18 months before you're eligible for the upgrade. So 12 months for a One X, 18 months for a One S. It's just, you know, an incentive to get you to spend more money and to get the bigger console, which is fine. I don't know why you wouldn't go for the One X if you were going to do this. It's so affordable anyway. You might as well just go for the sexier, sleeker, faster, more powerful console anyway. But anyway, the la- lastly, upgrading to the Scarlet agrees to continue financing for an additional 24 months. So that I'm still a little fu- fuzzy about. I don't know if that means on top of your 24 months, you do another 24 months, or it means on top of the 12 months you've already done, you add 24 months, meaning like a total of 36 months or 48. I'm not entirely sure. Though it is not clear, 
at this point in order to receive your Scarlet. The last thing that is not clear at this time is whether or not you get to fully keep the console at the end, meaning, you know, you pay the 12 months of your Xbox One X, then you upgrade to the Scarlet, you get that in the mail. Do you have to send back the X or do you keep the Scarlet? I'm fairly certain you just keep the consoles you're financing to own. It's not like a trade-in program with the switching over to Scarlet, but again, they still haven't really clarified on that. I'm fairly certain that's just one of those things people like myself are overlooking and kind of over-questioning to the point where we're making something out of nothing, but I'm fairly certain you just you finance to own, so you probably get to keep both consoles when you upgrade. Although, you know, don't take my word for it because I don't know anything. So there's a little more clarification, not so much something to speculate about and, and dissect. It's just more context for that story because I know there were a lot of questions after this news broke last week about exactly APR, if it's 0% or if there's even an option to get 0% if you have great credit, and then also kind of how it works with like how long before you upgrade and if you get to keep the console and all those things. So a little more clarification and just, you know, that big date to hang on to New Year's Eve, December 31st. If you want to upgrade to Scarlet through Xbox All Access, you got to sign up before that. I wouldn't be surprised if Xbox All Access goes away at the end of the year or a couple months into 2020 because that's what they did last time. It was only available for a few months. It's a short window to get a bunch of people on board. It's not something they're always going to act uh, offer because that would just be a great way to lose a bunch of money when there'd be no need to. Make sure, you know, obviously take your time, think about it. But if that's something you're interested in doing, it's something you got to jump on pretty soon here. We'll move on to our next story now. It appears that EA Studio Bioware is teasing the reveal of the next entry in the Dragon Age series. A tweet went out by the Bioware account earlier this week, and it reads, quote, Today marks 10 years of Dragon Age. This year, we're excited to join the community's party on December 4th and celebrate a decade together in the world we all love. See you on 12-4 for Dragon Age Day. And Dragon Age Day is spelled like Dragon Age 4-G-E Day. Like, instead of an A for age, it's a 4. So, obviously, I mean, I don't know how you interpret this any other way, but they're saying Dragon Age 4. So, Dragon Age 4 will be the first entry in the franchise since 2014's Dragon Age Inquisition. Since then, Bioware has put out Mass Effect Andromeda, handled by their team in Montreal, and Anthem. So, needless to say, this studio is in big need of a hit, and there's a lot of pressure to perform here with this game. The game has reportedly been started and canceled once before already in its development cycle, which isn't too uncommon for a video game. But hopefully this iteration of the game is the one that is coming along nicely and the one that will make its way to market as uh, it's been quite a while since a Dragon Age game has released and fans are, as always, getting antsy. See, the thing that makes this story so interesting is, first of all, I don't see how this game, even if they do announce a Dragon Age 4 on December 4th, I don't see that just clicked in my mind, you know, December 4th, Dragon Age 4. Uh, anyway, I don't see a world in where this game comes out, you know, next year or at the earliest 2021. I think, especially with these kinds of games, we need to do the Fallout 4 approach, the Outer Worlds approach, where announce the game when it's like six to ten months out from coming out, or maybe a year, but don't announce a game when it's like two to three years away. And I think Dragon Age 4, for whatever reason, I just don't see it as coming out soon, especially because they're just coming off the heels of Anthem. They still had to support that game, and obviously they have different teams within Bioware working on different aspects so not everyone working on Anthem was working on Anthem you know some people were working on Dragon Age they probably had a second studio like with that game in pre-development and I'm sure most hands are on Dragon Age and have been since 
earlier this year and that the people, you know, working on supporting Anthem is a smaller portion of the studio. So it's not like this game just hasn't been worked on. I'm sure it's been worked on like crazy throughout the years. And as we know, it's been scrapped once before. So it's not like they're working with absolutely nothing and starting from scratch at effective six months ago. But I just don't see this game being ready by by next year. I definitely think this game is a Scarlet game. There's no way this is a Xbox One game. And it's just interesting to see them kind of tease a game so prematurely, or what I assume is prematurely. So nonetheless, I think this might just be them slowly trying to drum up hype, keep Bioware in the minds of gamers, and kind of start to associate Bioware with Dragon Age, which is their one franchise they haven't fucked up yet, you know? Anthem is a one-and-done thing. There's no way we're ever getting another Anthem. That game definitely didn't do well. People are really down on it. Andromeda, you know, despite being made by a different team, a different Bioware team, not really Bioware proper, still has tarnished the not only the Mass Effect name, but the Bioware name. And EA already has an awful reputation as their as the publisher. So I think there's a lot of pressure on Bioware and on EA to make sure Dragon Age 4 is a big hit. It has to be good. It has to be great. It has to be at least as good as every other Dragon Age game has been because the fans are upset. Audiences are upset. People are looking for any excuse to hate Bioware and EA these days. So I just think there's that sure pressure that they they need to deliver with this game and make sure that they can kind of slowly rebuild the clout that Bioware once had and that they have unfortunately begun losing in, in recent years. Dragon Age, when you think about it, is their one franchise that doesn't have a tarnished name. The only Dragon Age that wasn't like super big was Origins, I believe. I think they, what is it? They did they did one, two, and then someone else did Origins, and then they did Inquisition. Or was Origins the original one? I, I don't fucking remember. I only ever played Inquisition. Again, so yeah, it's just super important for them to nail this. So I think the reason for prematurely announcing it would be to say, okay, let's stop focusing on Anthem. Let's stop focusing on Mass Effect. Let's start associating Bioware with Dragon Age. Remember Dragon Age? It's the one, it's the game we make that you don't hate yet. It's the game we make that we haven't fucked up yet. So... Let's start building that association, slowly drumming that hype cycle for that, and kind of getting people fixated on a more positive association with Bioware and with EA. Other than that, I mean, the only other thing that Bioware could really be working on outside of Anthem or or Mass Effect would be like another Star Wars game, which makes so much sense. Let Bioware make another Knights of the Old Republic instead of having DICE make another stupid fucking Battlefront game. No offense to Battlefront, but it's just like, you've, you had this Star Wars license and the only fucking Star Wars game you were making is Battlefront? I mean, of course we have Jedi Fallen Order coming out in just a few days, but it's like, I don't understand how you're EA and you have, you have Bioware and you have Star Wars as a license and you're just not making a Knights of the Old Republic game. And I, and I know they, they've said before that uh, Star Wars The Old Republic, which is made by a different division of Bioware it's the MMO the Star Wars MMO they say that is Knights of the Old Republic that is you know our kind of Star Wars effort from Bioware but it's like that's a bullshit answer that would be like Bethesda saying oh we're not making a Skyrim an Elder Scrolls 6 you know Skyrim was the last one um, because if you want to play more Elder Scrolls you got to play Elder Scrolls online that's where Elder that's bullshit people want a Knights of the Old Republic 3 people would go nuts for a Knights of the Old Republic 3 if you're EA, if you're Bioware, you're in a position where people hate you right now. So just fucking make an awesome Knights of the Old Republic 3 and shut everyone up. You know, put their doubts to bed by just fucking delivering. I also think Dragon Age has the potential to really help patch things up as well, provided they don't fuck it up with anything. And I, and I, I don't, I personally don't have any ill will towards Bioware. I think Bioware is a fantastic developer. I don't think they've fucked up because they're incapable. I think they fucked up due to problems out of their reach higher up and not to blame EA for everything, not to be one of those people. 
but it seems pretty apparent that the woes Bioware's experienced in recent history are a direct result of you're going to make this kind of thing and because we told you to, and you're not going to have a lot of time to do it. We know that's the problem with Anthem. We know that Andromeda was kind of rushed out, and it's just these are the kinds of things that, that are affecting them. So hopefully EA lets Bioware kind of methodically take the time to really deliver whatever's next from the studio. Hopefully it's one of those, you know, the longer it takes to come out, the better it will be um, kind of deals. And at this point, I'm really rambling on the story. I didn't really think I had that much to say about Bioware and EA, but here we are 40,000 minutes into the podcast talking about the uh, the Knights of the Old Republic 3. Just make it. Just Everyone wants it. You got Star Wars for a few more years. Just do it. Fucking do it, okay? Also, it would just be so nice because you got you got Battlefront, which is your your first-person shooter. Then you got Jedi Fallen Order, which is your third-person action-adventure linear story game. And then you got Knights of the Old Republic, which is like your, your fucking your RPG. So it's like, well, there you go. You got all this variety in the Star Wars universe, you fucking nerds. Just do it. Um, our next story, this is, this is speaking of nerds, so during BlizzCon this past weekend, two high-profile games were announced, Diablo 4, yay, and Overwatch 2, ooh. The long-awaited sequel to Diablo 3 aims to please longtime fans by drawing from series roots and evolving more both mechanically and aesthetically from Diablo 2, which is arguably the most beloved entry in the franchise. While many elements of Diablo 3 are still present and the game has plenty of new features and ideas to introduce, Blizzard is hoping to please classic Diablo fans with this new entry. Diablo 4 still has a long ways to go before it's ready for release, so expect this to be a Project Scarlet game for sure, releasing sometime after 2020. I would definitely not expect to see this next year. I think this is definitely a... uh, We know you're mad about that Diablo mobile game from last year kind of deal. I think it's a, we know you guys are antsy about Diablo all the fucking time. Shut up. We're making Diablo 4. We have enough of it to show you. Um, We'll come back in a few few years with some more information. But for now, just know this game is in development. It's going to be more in the vein of Diablo 2 like you want. And just fuck off. It's, It's coming. The other game, of course, Overwatch 2, on the other hand, which seems to be further along development-wise, is serving as something of a hybrid sequel. While the game offers new characters, modes, maps, cosmetics, and an all-new story mode, Blizzard is trying to keep the player base intact by ensuring players from the original Overwatch aren't left out in the cold when the release of Overwatch 2 hits, whenever that may be. This means regardless of which entry you own, you'll be able to play with everyone in the Overwatch community, providing a solution to the long-running player base divided issue that is inherent to video game sequels almost always. Uh, So Overwatch 2 will be coming to Xbox One, they've already said that, at an undetermined date, of course, but expect it to be sooner than the release of Diablo 4. Overwatch 2, I would not be surprised if that comes out next fall at all, maybe sometime 2021 in the earlier half, but I really do expect that to be out next year. Let's start with the Overwatch news, because that's just really interesting, what they're trying to do. I really actually appreciate what they're trying to do. It's kind of, but it is ambitious. It is kind of a have your cake and eat it too thing, where they're like, we want to be able to release a new $60 product with the number two on it, because that, that stuff sells a lot. We make a lot of money off those things. But we don't want to piss people off and ruin this good thing we have where we have a really dedicated and passionate player base on Overwatch. We have an esports community all around Overwatch, and we wouldn't want to fuck it up to where people start getting divided over which one's a better game. And then the esports league kind of gets fucked up and it tarnishes the brand a little bit. Like a lot of these things have, like, I'm trying to think of what a good example of it. I mean, Halo kind of has a little bit, had a little bit of a problem like that where people always defaulted to Halo 2 even in the era of Halo 3 and Reach. Um, I guess nowadays it really seems like Halo 
five is the default option. Counter-Strike, I feel like, had that issue for a while where even when Counter-Strike Go first announced, uh, first launched, it was like kind of classic Counter-Strike for a while, although these days it's definitely CSGO as the default. But in general, you know, Destiny kind of had this issue somewhat, right? Where it was like, why couldn't all of Destiny 2 just been a massive expansion? Why that have to be a new game? So this is a really tricky thing they're trying to do. And I really, uh, I think if they can pull this off, this will be really important because you definitely don't want to fuck up that good thing you have going with the player base. But I understand you got to make money and you got to release a new $60 product with a number two on it in order to make that money. So I guess what they're really going to do is the, the core multiplayer is going to be there. So what they're, what they're focusing on is this new, it's not that it's like, oh, we have a new game where all the old maps are gone and we have all new maps. It's like the old maps are there, but we're adding new gameplay modes rather than adding, you know, I guess, how would I put this? Like in Call of Duty, you have this Call of Duty game has 10 deathmatch maps. And then the next entry, 10 new deathmatch maps. Whereas what they're saying here is like, no, it's the same multiplayer from Overwatch 1. But now you have Overwatch 2 includes this brand new mode and new maps for all these modes and new characters and new skins and story content, which I think... I think they have enough content here to justify calling it a sequel, but at the same time, it's like by keeping that core of Overwatch 1, it is it is a little bit like, yeah, but it, isn't this just an expansion, not really a sequel? So it's, it's hard, you know, to kind of play that line, to kind of toe that line between what's an expansion, what's a sequel. I mean, the game has to aesthetically look the same as overwatch one does it not because it's going to be using that same game and keeping those it's just a whole thing i i'm I'm really curious to keep my eye on this and see how they're going to pull this off because it it raises a lot of questions there's a lot of ways this could go wrong Um, but if they pull it off i think this will be really kind of a beneficial solution for developers trying to figure out you know how do we make a sequel to like a rainbow six siege right which is getting a huge expansion. It looks like Rainbow Six Siege is actually trying to do a similar thing to what Blizzard's doing with Overwatch 2 with that new expansion, which we'll talk about in our next story, uh, Rainbow Six Quarantine. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, this will be a fun one to keep your eye on just because players are all, you know, video gamers are super finicky and they're always looking for ways to bitch. So I can imagine this coming out and really fucking people over and really upsetting people because we all want to be angry about something. But if if they can really manage to add enough content to justify charging $60 for a new game while also keeping it close enough to the first Overwatch that people who don't upgrade can... I I guess I don't... I don't really... I guess that doesn't really make sense because I don't know why you wouldn't upgrade to Overwatch 2 if it's going to maintain essentially the same base product. Meaning that if, you know, you have Overwatch 1 and you're playing with Overwatch 2 players... Why would you not just get Overwatch 2? Because it's going to be like a Left 4 Dead 2 type deal where like this product has all the content from the previous entry. So plus more. So like what do you really have to lose by upgrading? You know, it's not like it's not like they fucked the balancing or the weapons or the maps or anything. It's the same content, but with more in it. So I, I don't know. This will just be super interesting to see how it plays out. Um, this is unlike something we've really seen done before. Uh, but I, I think Blizzard's the kind of company that can pull this off. Blizzard's usually really creative with these, these kinds of deals with their, they're just very, they're one of those companies that just has the rack, the track record for being super thorough, super well thought out, very polished. They don't release stuff with the intention to just cash in. Generally, it's just 
they they really do put a lot of thought and effort into everything. So I have I have confidence that Blizzard can pull this off, uh, despite the fact that Overwatch is a stupid game for nerds. The other thing, Diablo Four, not really much for me to talk about here. I mean, it's just more Diablo. It looks like they're trying to draw inspiration more from Diablo Two than Three because that's the one people liked more while keeping, you know, some elements of Diablo 3, since Diablo 3 is a more modern game. And then, of course, adding in a bunch of new mechanics and ideas and things to make Diablo 4 its own standalone game. So, I mean, if you're a Diablo person, this is something to look forward to. Uh, of course, it will be releasing on pretty much everything under the sun, not just PC like Diablo used to be. So, I mean, I'll probably get that on Project Scarlet. I, th I think Diablo's fun. I, I don't know why people are so crazy about it. I think it's kind of a mindless game. I put it on like a lower difficulty setting and just mindlessly like hack and slash and crawl through dungeons. But to me, that's fun. And I think it's a it's going to be a good, good game. Just know that you're going to be waiting a long time for that game because there's no way they have that game well under development. And they had like literally nothing to say about the game in terms of any kind of timeline where it might be out. I think that's a 2021 at the earliest so be waiting on that and then we're going to wrap up this news week see i always manage to make it a super long episode even when there's no news this last one's going to be a pretty quick one our final news story this week is a sort of a follow-up to last week's ubisoft news in regards to the less than enthusiastic reception of ghost recon breakpoint during the news ubisoft ceo yves gilmont announced delays for some of the company's most anticipated future releases now we have a clear understanding of just how far away these delays have pushed these games so we knew that watchdog Legion, Rainbow Six Quarantine, and Gods and Monsters would all be pushed back from their original release windows, but now we know that these games will be cross-generation games, meaning that they'll be available on both Xbox One and Project Scarlet. So in addition to three games that the three games I just listed, Gilmont also says that there are uh, two additional games that will be released around the same time frame, the same uh, fiscal quarter or fiscal year rather, that will also be cross-generation games. However, you know, they haven't announced either of these games yet, which I assume we'll see at E3 2020. In a quote that I pulled from IGN, Gilmont says, quote, the five titles will be on this generation and next generation of consoles, and they will take full advantage of all the new features that are coming with the new machines, which are actually going to be extremely interesting for players as you'll be able to download content a lot faster. Players will experience better frame rates, so there will be lots of good elements that will come with those new machines, end quote. These delays should put the release dates of these games sometime in the holiday 2020, spring 2021 window. But you know, this is this actually doesn't surprise me that they're doing this. I don't even know that this is, you know, they, they announce it along with this news that Ghost Recon Breakpoint is kind of underperforming. But I don't even really see this as being that closely related to that. I, I see this more as Ubisoft doing a thing that Ubisoft is very well known for doing, which is kind of jumping on the new console. Ubisoft is one of those publishers that's always there at the start of a generation. Like you look at even like the Wii U and Ubisoft had like Zombie U and that Ray Rayman Legends. So like they just they're they had Assassin's Creed Black Flag on like they had all these games on the Wii U, like a console that had no no chance of surviving, you know, that other publishers were shying away from. Uh, and I guess what I'm getting at is that it's just very Ubisoft to be there at the forefront of every console generation because it's really smart when you think about what they're doing. They're basically just saying, you know, when a console generation starts, there aren't, yeah, there aren't that many units out in the wild because install bases take a while, you know, to happen. But if a good chunk of the very few games on the market are your company's games, then not only are you just by process of, you know, availability and what, what, what's on the market, just increasing your chances of selling to that, that audience, but you're also just kind of giving players an option, an opportunity to really discover your games that they haven't 
before you know played them. I think the beginning of a generation is usually a time period, or just any time when someone buys a console is a really great time to kind of get your in with with a new audience because people are hungry for new games when they buy new hardware, right? People are going to buy the Xbox Scarlet, and of course, it's going to have a massive day one launch title in Halo Infinite, which will be free via Game Pass. But generally speaking, when a new console comes out, you know there aren't that many great games. It's like launch launch lineups are never that impressive. But if, you know, let's say there's like 10 notable games and three of those 10 games are Ubisoft, then there's a really high chance that someone who's like, oh, you know, I've never really played an Assassin's Creed game might pick up Assassin's Creed because they just want an excuse to play their new console, right? So I, I see that's what Ubisoft's doing is they're saying Breakpoint maybe didn't perform as well as we hoped. And yeah, we could just release, you know, Watch Dogs and Rainbow Six and all these games now or pretty soon and hit that that big install base on the Xbox One or we can hold these games back a little bit and then cross launch it on Xbox One and Scarlet and then just hit, you know, two audiences, one with a big install base and one where you have this new frontier of gamers who are hungry for new games because they just bought a new console. And so this is just a very Ubisoft thing to do in general. I think is a very smart idea. But yeah, a little bit of a delay for all these games, which hopefully also leads to, you know, fully fleshed out and more fully realized products as a result of these delays. Plus, I mean, it also takes time to have to develop these games for multiple consoles. They're not just making for PlayStation and Xbox now. They're making for two PlayStation consoles and two Xbox consoles. So it's it's not as it's not as easy uh, at the beginning of a generation when you have all those games on, on two hardware generations. So that's what's going on with Ubisoft. And that's going to basically round us out for this week's news. I appreciate you guys sticking all the way through the end. I know, I know you did. I know every single one of you did. No one turned the the podcast. No, none of you turned the podcast off at any point in time. I know you all the kind of people that just sit around your phones all day on Thursday mornings waiting for my my show to drop, and then you go, "Oh, thank God, I can breathe again." Xbox on is here. And I appreciate that kind of, you know, whatever you need me. I get it. Let's round out this week with uh, the new games coming out for November 5th, November 8th, this this week, that is. Uh, there are a total of nine new games. Again, you know, slow news week, slow game release week. Go play your Call of Duty in your Outer Worlds. Tell, fuck off. You don't need another new game. Unless it's, of course, Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games. So real quick, we'll run through these. We've got Alan's Awakening coming. Oh, sorry, it's not Alan's. It's Al was Awakening. This is a very... Final Fantasy meets uh, Castlevania meets 8-bit meets indie game where you solve puzzles. But essentially what you need to know about this game is you use magic to unlock doors. So you play as a sorcerer, and instead of like going up to an unlock door and like turning the lock and opening the door, you're kind of a germaphobe. So instead of really engaging by attacking enemies physically or opening doors physically, you're going to use your magic to do that because you don't want to touch those door handles and get germs. Uh, otherwise, you could turn into a demon. So it's really just a commentary on, you know, like flu season and like how you should always sanitize. And I really appreciate that. I know I'm down on a lot of these kind of old retro style indie games and I don't mean to be it's just that I I want more of them to be like this I want more of them to make those meaningful commentaries on you know real epidemics like like flu season and cold season um and I just think that's a really important kind of thing to focus on our next game here is called Just Dance 2020 and I'm gonna go ahead and just dance on to the next game because I don't give a shit our next game after that is called The Elder Scrolls Online Dragonhold speaking of ESO look at that uh Elder Scrolls has another expansion but it it doesn't mean they're not going to make a an Elder Scrolls 6 it doesn't mean Skyrim's not getting a sequel but that's that's Xbox One X Enhanced which is going to basically add in the option to see those dragons those invisible dragons are now going to be fully detailed 
fully visible through the power of the Xbox One X. Um, so definitely make sure you play that on your newly financed Xbox One X through Xbox All Access, which also grants you access to Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, Xbox, Xbox, Xbox. And then our next game is going to be called Football Game. This picture just shows a floating head and says, excuse me, Mr. Mahoney. Uh, and then there's some pixelated characters. So I guess this is like, I don't think this is referring to football as in the sport. I think this is talking about like, I don't know what this is. This looks like some kind of sexy time simulator. So it's probably talking about something sexy. But the next game is called Wizards of Brandle. It's a uh, it's a uh, flash RPG game. So it's like something you would play on your computer. It's basically Maple Story meets um, uh, Octopath Traveler. It's a play anywhere game, so you can play it anywhere. You can play it play it on the toilet. You can play it in the trash. You can play it in a boat. You can play it in a moat. And uh, but you shouldn't play it just because you can play it every. I think this game really raises the important question of just because you can play a game anywhere doesn't mean you should. And maybe Wizards of Brandle is a game that you just shouldn't play. Our next game is called Stay Cool, Cool, Kobayashi-san, A River City Ransom Story. This is like the millionth River City Ransom game to come out this this, this year. So I'm not going to give them the time of the day by by exposing another one of their entries on my super successful podcast where people are just constantly dying, living and dying by my every word, my every recommendation. People only, you know, I know my audience only buys games based on what I say is good. I know that's why... Square Enix and Final Fantasy has really been hurting is because people know I'm not into it. But our next game after that is called Need for Speed Heat. I, didn't, I bet you didn't know there was another Need for Speed game coming out. I wish I wish I could justify this. A part of me wants to play this, but it's like in a world where like every Forza game I just get for free on Game Pass, plus Forza is an amazing racing game. Uh, in a world where I just bought a bunch of new games because we got, you know, Outer Worlds and Call of Duty and all this shit. I wish, you know, my, my first world problems, I wish I had the time and the money to justify playing Need for Speed Heat, but I just don't. But that doesn't mean you don't. Maybe, you're, maybe you'll be interested in this Need for Speed Heat. I'm not even going to make a joke about it. It's a racing game. You know what Need for Speed is. It looks kind of like a crossover between Hot Pursuit and Underground, which is which are the two best Need for Speed franchise sub-franchises. So definitely check that out if you're looking for one of those racing games where the lighting is such that whenever a road is wet, it looks super shiny and oily. Our next game is called Tanky Tanks. It's an Xbox One X enhanced game, which thank God it's the only thing that's going to save this stupid game. But basically you play as, you play as tanks and they're tanky and you shoot each other. Um, but really, I think this is just a commentary on war and how in a way we're all just a bunch of tanks looking to find our fight our way through our own emotional ISIS. You know, when you have a, when you have a depressive doubtful mind and, and you're just fighting that inner struggle every day, that's kind of like an ISIS in your head. And in a way we're all, we're all just a tanky tank trying to power our way through another day in the middle East of our minds. Uh, last game is called Sturwind Sturmwind EX. It's a, it's a shooter game. It's a shoot 'em up and it's Xbox one X enhanced. And that's all you need to know about that. Bye. And then Games with Gold, just as a reminder, of course, we're in November this week, this month, rather. You got Sherlock Holmes, which is available all month long. The Final Station, which is available uh, starting the middle of the month through the middle of next month. And then on the on the, on the the older game side, you got Star Wars Jedi Starfighter. Please download that. Please download that. It's an OG Xbox game. It's available until the 15th. And then lastly, you got Joyride Turbo, which is available the latter half of this month. Please don't buy 
don't don't download that one. Just don't. And that's going to do it for the show. As always, remember, uh, actually, ooh, a quick reminder, next week is XO19 taking place in London. So expect a lot of good Xbox news to come from that, which, of course, it just so happens that that is the same day I record the podcast. So I may put up the podcast a little bit later in the day so that I can be open for any breaking news uh, to include in the story in uh, order to include in the news portion of the of the podcast so just be aware of that i know again i know you guys are just waiting on my every word you're waiting for my show it's basically the only reason why thursdays exist my show is saving lives it's immaculate there's never been a better podcast out there but you know sometimes you just got to wait for good shit so fucking deal with it uh, so definitely look forward to that XO19 taking place in London. There's an Xbox Insider that will be taking place live next Thursday. So be sure to tune into that if you want to see all the, the big announcements straight from the horse's mouth. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. As always, we're going to we're gonna round out with a song from my buddy Eric Hudson, BB Murder Case. Be sure to check him out on YouTube and SoundCloud. We're going to round out with a little bit of his music. And Eric asked, you know, he asked me specifically, um, he said, Jesse, I need you to do me a favor and uh, uh, shout out your social media page so people know where to find you at. Well, I'm glad you I'm, I'm glad you care so much, Eric, because I'm going to tell everyone where they can find me now on social media. You can find me on Twitter. On Twitter, you can find me at Deer Park Water. And then on Instagram, you can find me at 